Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Alongside Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon, I'm Kevin Ingram. We talk some hoops, uh, we get into some pop culture. We always have great guests. We're going to have Bruce Pascoe with us, a Blue Ribbon contributor and a guy who's covered Arizona for a number of years out west. Chris, what's going on? Well, buddy, I, I've been sitting here today pondering the pros and cons of, of storming the court. Uh, on the one hand, I like the exuberance of college athletics. On the other hand, I think act like you've been there. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, it can be costly, as we found out today. Uh, Arkansas upset number one Auburn uh, on on Tuesday night and get a whopping <laughs> – a whopping bill from the SEC. <laughs> Turns out this is the school's third violation. And number three is, is 250K. But luckily, uh, the school, as you know, you've been down there to Bud Walton Arena, is uh, propped up by Walmart dough. So I'd say one of the, the Walton siblings will write a check, and that'll be that. Yeah, they probably have that in their couch cushions to to pay for the uh, the fine. You know, I think the second offense was actually back in the fall when uh, they they rushed the football. field after Arkansas beat Texas in football. So that was like a yeah. hundred grand there, and then it escalates up to two hundred fifty k. I couldn't find the first offense. I don't know what, but they, they say it it could be any sport, right? Uh, I can't imagine, you know, storming the <laughs> field for track, you know. But, yeah, there, there's uh, no telling. Or tennis. Right, but. yeah. Um, they, they did not storm it, I don't believe, uh, after the baseball super regional because NC State won that one in a stunning upset. No, yeah, that's uh, right. So, so you can scratch right that one that. off. Yeah, we'll have to go back and do some research and find out what the other one was. Did Now, you were talking about the pros and cons of storming the court. And uh, I have uh, been at the mic when these things have happened. My feelings on this are, are well documented for folks who used to listen to our morning show. Uh, it happened back in about probably oh five, oh six, somewhere in that range. Uh, I was doing a Belmont game. We were playing at Lipscomb, the Battle of the Boulevard, the old rivals and all that. And Lipscomb won, and all these kids came. The student section was right behind us. All these kids came piling right over the top of us and stepping on her stuff and running on out there. And I mean – to be honest, to be fair, they were about as polite as, as court storming uh, kids could be. Uh, but I, I made my feelings known about that the next day on the uh, the morning show, and I took a lot of grief for that one for a long time because I even uh, in, in a, at a younger age, I still sounded like you know a grumpy old man and get off my lawn or get off my court or yeah. <laughs> get, well, I mean, it's their court. I, I, I'm at this, torn, at this man. Point, I, I, you know, on the one hand, <laughs> I love college athletics and I love the exuberance. But like I said, it's like, especially Arkansas, which has won a national title, mm -hmm. you know, kind of act like you've been yeah. here. And then I've got an experience, too. Uh, one year, there was a court storming at Tennessee, and that was back in, in the era when they didn't have much to storm about. But somebody also threw toilet paper rolls onto the court, and one of them didn't unfurl quite like the guy who threw it wanted. And a cheerleader stepped on it and and turned her ankle so badly it tore ligaments. Oh, wow. And she had to have surgery and was out for the year. So, yeah, I witnessed something like that. So, And then, I don't know, in, in an era where, where the pandemic is, is still hanging around, <laughs> they were in awful close quarters uh, at Bud Walton the other night. I, I don't know, man, but, but the exuberance – I like uh, the potential for somebody to get into a scuffle or get hurt or 
uh, I don't know, a fight to break out. That I don't like. Uh, yeah. You could see Bruce Pearl was – he. the Auburn guys looked a little rattled. And furthermore, uh, Coach Musselman, Arkansas, in his post-game interview, he kind of alluded to the fact that there was a little bad blood. Maybe he said something about the – the Auburn players dancing on center court before the game. And it was like, yeah, yeah, we didn't forget that, you know? So there was a little, there was some chippiness there and nothing like a, you know, 20,000 people to (laughs) storm the court to, you know, to to further that chippiness. Yeah. That was the, uh, the largest crowd ever at Bud Walton arena for that game. Uh, Arkansas hosting number one Auburn. Yeah, and I'm with you. Uh, Arkansas's won a national championship back in 1994, and they've won to they've been to probably five or so Final Fours. And uh, storming the court after you beat Auburn, which has been to a grand total of one Final Four, and that was just a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a, a crazy scene. And the the thing I always worry a little bit about is the the visiting team and getting those folks yeah. off the court safely. Because you never know if somebody's had a few and wants to take a swing at somebody or push somebody or something like that. It's happened. And, and, and you think about – and you remember Duke, like all the times that they've, say, lost a game on the road and they knew it was coming, going and getting their players out of there and off the court. And, you know, Coach K would shake hands with the, uh, the opposing coach and then go ahead and, you know, they, they'd be ready to take off as soon as the buzzer sounded. So, you know, the the safety of the other team to me is, is the main concern. I, I for for as much as I joke around and, and especially man the way the last couple of years have gone if people you know see an opportunity to have a good time I guess go on and go with it as for the game itself yeah. uh, the Razorbacks won in overtime eighty to seventy six that ended uh, the Tigers nineteen game win streak J D Note who's the uh, leading scorer in the SEC he and Scotty Pippen Jr have gone back and forth he had twenty eight Arkansas was rock solid at the foul line the last couple minutes of overtime they made eleven out of fourteen. And uh, Chris, as you alluded to, Auburn, I guess they were dancing on the logo at midcourt before the game. Arkansas's players, I heard a couple of them say that they didn't like it either, and they, they remembered that. So uh, a big win for Arkansas, which has really turned its season around. We were there for the SEC opener back in early January, and, and Vanderbilt won at Arkansas by one point that night. And the Razorbacks didn't look like they were going in a very good direction. And since then, they, they played some good basketball. I believe they're now 8-3 and three after that win, and they look like they're uh, headed on back to the NCAA tournament with the way things are going. One other interesting thing I heard them say, and uh, I had not thought of this in a long time, that was first Arkansas's first win over a number one ranked team since they beat North Carolina in 1984. And when I heard that, I was like, you know, I think that game was in Pine Bluff. I, for, for whatever reason, I remember that. And I went back and looked it up, and sure enough, I mean, it was the North Carolina team in 84 that had Michael Jordan and, and Sam Perkins and you know a bunch of good players that ended up playing in the NBA. But our Arkansas pulled the upset that day and then uh, did it again against number one Auburn back on Tuesday night. Um, I, I didn't. I, I, it was hard for me to fathom it. A, a number one team had come to Arkansas only three times in its history and only once in Bud Walton. So last night was it. You know, another thing, Kevin, talking about big games uh, – on Tuesday night, Purdue and Illinois. And uh, when uh, Purdue looked like it was going to win, that chant overrated broke out from the Purdue stands. And, and Robbie Hummel, who a former Purdue player, does a great job for ESPN on color analysis. It's like, and this is, I've always thought that, <laughs> why do you yell overrated? Uh, 
you know, it's like you're demeaning your win. Right. If yeah. anything, you should yell underrated or properly you, rated. You know, <laughs> yeah, pro- properly. You 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 are significantly rated correctly. <laughs> that doesn't quite roll yeah. off the tongue like overrated. Does. No, no, I, I totally but, agree but with you on like, this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's like you know, Purdue's been there. Although this was just the first time since 2011-12 that the Boilers swept Illinois. So. Uh, Purdue is one of those teams, Kevin, I think could, could go a long way. I said this early on. I didn't see how anybody could beat them. And then they jump out of the box one and two in, in, in the Big Ten. And I thought, man, how could I beat that off? This is a team that has all the ingredients, uh, you know, including a, a great a pro and, and, and size. Jaden Ivey is a is definitely a pro. Brad Underwood, the Illinois coach, said, if you want to know what a pro looks like, it looks like him. Right. And then they've got size and Zach Eady and Trevion Williams and shooters, and they play great defense. That's a team I think could hoist the, the trophy uh, in, in April. That Big Ten, man, you, you can see some great games every night in that league, and it seems like there's always somebody ranked playing somebody else's ranked or, or, or something like that, and yeah, they're probably uh, going to have just a, a whole handful of teams when the NCAA tournament rolls around with a chance to do some real damage. Uh, back on Monday in Durham, Virginia beating Duke uh, 69-68. Reese Beekman had a three with one second left. That was after Duke had hammered North Carolina 87-67 on Saturday and Coach K's final trip to the Dean Dome. AC Seacrest, what's going on in that conference? I'll tell you, I, I, things have been flipped. Uh, I mean uh, – our buddy and friend of the show, Steve Forbes, uh, has guided Wake Forest up there near the top, and they s- swept FSU and beat FSU on Saturday in Tallahassee. So uh, what's down is up, and what's up is down. Although, you know, Carolina has, was 8-3 and three in the league before that whipping at Dukes. Uh, so, I mean, against Dukes. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think leagues go in cycles i think a lot has to do with how much the nba leaves your players alone and and how much uh you know your schools have done in terms of recruiting and it just so happens i mean and the sec big 12 challenge proved it uh this is a good year for the sec and i think it's also a good year for the big 10 and and maybe a year where the Big Ten can finally get their monkey off its back. They have not won a national championship. This is crazy since Michigan State in 2000. So I, I would never have guessed that. I wouldn't have either. But if, if anybody uh, can do it, can win it all out of that conference, I really think Purdue looks like the team. And Illinois can do it too. Uh, it's just that even if you've got a, a Kofi Cogburn, you can't deal with Purdue's front line. It's just massive and, and uh, talented. And when you've got a guy in Zach Eady, you just got to lob it to him and he barely has to move to dunk it. Uh, that's a force. And then uh, Ivy is incredible. He took the game over down the stretch. He has 26 in, in the game and 22 of those came in the second half. They just kind of turned him loose and said, stop him if you can. And Illinois plays great defense, but they couldn't stop him. 
Yeah, the Big Ten has uh, had some opportunities, and they've had some really good teams. Michigan State's been to a ton of Final Fours since they won it back in 2000. Uh, you think about Michigan, they played in two championship games in that stretch. Illinois has been to a Final Four. Uh, you, you can go down the line, but haven't been able to break through and, and win that national championship. Uh, speaking of uh, seeding and Joe Lenardi's bracketology, the latest one, and this may be subject to change with Auburn losing, but the top four seeds were Auburn, Gonzaga, Purdue, and Arizona. The twos are Baylor, Kentucky, Kansas, and Duke. Uh, again, some of this subject to change. The SEC had seven teams in in the latest bracket. Florida among the last four in. Mississippi State in the first four out. The last four buys, Oregon, uh, Notre Dame, Miami, and Oklahoma. The last four in, BYU, North Carolina, Florida, and San Diego State. Can you imagine seeing that collection of teams in Dayton playing in a, in a first four setting? What would that be like? Wow. Like I said, down is up and up is down. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that B, BYU's uh, hit a, a, a few rough patches and, and and has had some injuries. Carolina, obviously, with Roy Williams having retired and Hubert Davis taking over, there was going to be some adjustment. And so somebody mentioned this. I, I think it was on our show. I, I mean, uh, you take Walker Kessler away from that team. And if you look, even in a losing effort last night, I think he had 16 and 19 boards and before blocks against Arkansas. You take that kind of a, a talent away from North Carolina, and yeah, they're probably going to struggle just a little bit. Uh, I think, but yeah, that, that would be an interesting first four. I love that Dayton Arena. I think you and I have talked about uh-huh. this before. I, it's just such a neat old place, but Wow, that that would add some some spice to it for sure. Yeah, that's a great arena. I've uh, been been there for the tournament and obviously for the first four back in 2019. And you know they they love their basketball there. That's one of those places where they they love hoops and that's a cool venue to uh, to play those games in that first part of the NCAA tournament. Chris, our guest is here. He is Bruce Pasco. We know him well. We've had him a, a number of times at our podcast and our radio show. He's a Blue Ribbon contributor and covered Arizona and the Pac-12 for many years. Bruce, how's it going, man? Pretty good. Thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. Uh, thanks for joining us, buddy. It was great to see you in December when uh, Arizona came to Knoxville to play, and it it's looking more and more like that's the gift that keeps on giving for Tennessee, <laughs> and maybe it was an aberration for Arizona because they pretty much had their way in, in the Pac-12, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, it's been a little tougher lately. They've had to kind of grind it out a little more with some of the teams lately, USC, UCLA, even Arizona State, all kind of, I think the word's kind of getting out, you know, <laughs> you know, try and do some things uh, defensively if you can, or, uh, and, you know, and then to slow the tempo down and uh, that that's, that's what's happened, but they, you know, it wasn't as easy as it's been early in the year where they were winning every game by 15 20 30 points and scoring in the 90s now it's a little bit different a lot of the times and i think it probably will be down the stretch because there's so much familiarity in the pac-12 now and the second time around everyone knows how to play them if they can so uh you know we'll we'll see how it goes but you're right chris i mean that that tennessee game was was something but it was a good learning experience for them i think their bigs had some foul trouble and they've since had you know they're pretty thin up there and they figured out how to how to do it and they've got more from umar ballo they're their reserve center and um you know really really kind of evolved as a team even since then and that was a 
that was a tough environment too. I don't, you know, I, I think it probably matched anything they faced this year. And uh, even UCLA and, and Illinois was, was really good too. They, that, that was a big win for them there. Yeah. There was almost 21,000. We yeah. texted the other day and I think I surprised you. Um, Fulkerson for Tennessee had 24 and 10. And I don't think he scored 24 yeah. total since. And he's yeah. not starting. He, he goes and gets COVID over the Christmas break and, he's really kind of been a shell of himself. And I, I think they're kind of disappointed in him that he, he actually got COVID doing a camp uh, where there was 300 kids. And uh, it was crazy because as good a front line as, as Arizona has, and as kind of gawky as, as Fulkerson is, he, he just kind of, I don't know, wrangled his way to 24 points and he, he drew 13 fouls. Uh, it, it was crazy. I, he hasn't played like that before or since, or since or before. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But, you know, well, I wonder if he'll come back because I do think that, uh, you know, maybe because we're all sick of talking about COVID in general, that I think it's really a big factor behind the scenes in, in college basketball because these guys go away and they can't do anything and they can't, they can go out for a jog, but they've been, they can't go to the gym. They can't be around, around people. And uh, it takes them a long time. And, and some of these teams, I know, you know, I don't know what you've guys seen out there, but I mean, in the PAC 12, it's pretty, pretty routine. Teams come back from COVID pauses if they have to as a team. And, and it, and it takes two, three weeks until they're back yeah. in sync. And that, that's what's, you know, happened to UCLA and, and even USC and, uh, Stanford's had that problem. And, and the interesting thing was that Arizona has not paused, they wanted to play some of these teams and uh, they couldn't get them rescheduled. And then they had to play a UCLA when lo and behold, they're okay all of a sudden and, and they <laughs> lost that game. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think, I think they're not, they're not so happy about that, but it's just, but there's a lot of weird, like, you know, COVID angles behind the scenes about everything. It, and, it, you you're, know. you're definitely right about that because, you know, I, I watch a lot of West coast games and, you know, fans are masked up and, and, and they're not capacity crowds and, it seems ironic to me that some of the West Coast teams have been the ones that had to pause. And then down here in our neck of the woods, nobody nobody wears a mask. I mean, you and I were masked up for that Tennessee game, and yeah. I looked in the, the stands, and there weren't many that joined us. Uh, and, you know, the Arkansas game last night where they beat Auburn, that place was packed to the gills, and I didn't see a mask, and they stormed the court. I, I wonder – why it just seems weird that the west coast teams are the ones that have kind of had to shut down well, well i think there there is one thing and everyone's been really quiet about it but one thing about ucla that kind of came out because johnny's johnny zuzang after they paused zuzang was out for a couple of games because he tested positive and cronin let it slip that he actually had a random test and i and then i looked it up and i, I uh and and i was tipped on this UCLA actually tests all their students randomly once a week. You're required at UCLA. So, wow. so whereas a lot of the, and, and I think some of the other schools, uh, you know, especially in the West coast areas where, you know, there's, there's local health restrictions and schools that are you know, frankly a little bit stricter about these things. And so, and Arizona and some of these other teams in Colorado, I know don't have to test randomly. So the difference is, I guess what I'm saying is sometimes the the players seem fine, and at a lot of schools, they wouldn't be tested and they keep playing. Everybody's fine, you know, unless they happen to give it to somebody else and that person gets symptoms. Obviously, that's not what you want. But 
But, uh, you know, in, in the case of UCLA, certainly, and pros- probably some other schools, they're having to test and, and, you know, not knowing these guys have COVID. And then all of a sudden they get a positive test and they can't play no matter how good they feel. And that, you know, that isn't always the case. Last year, of course, that was the case. Uh, but this year it's been kind of a different deal. And, you know, a, a lot of it has been going around. Our guest is Bruce Pascoe, covers uh, Arizona and the Pac-12, a Blue Ribbon contributor for many years. I want to go back to Arizona for a second. How has Tommy Lloyd connected with these guys so well? And, and does it feel like there is sort of a weight off the program a little bit with the coaching change? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, he's he's just a really, uh, really good guy, like down to earth. He's a small town guy from Washington, Western part of Washington. He loves to talk about his background and you know, he's just very unpretentious. You, you know, uh, you never assume he has the position he has or, or the money he makes or anything else. He's just like a regular guy. And I think he relates really well to players as a result. He's got a, and he's, uh, but he's also not, I mean, he's very laid back, but he's also not too soft on the guys. Like if they, if they do something wrong, he he'll, uh, he'll criticize them pretty sharply often in a, in a kind of a joking manner. And then, and then he'll turn around later and say, Hey, you know, I'm pushing you guys cause I love you or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and he has a, you know, I'm mean, a lot of coaches try that tough love thing, but he's really, I think his personality really works with it. And, you know, they've responded to him, uh, you know, the other night against Arizona state was the typical deal. They, you know, playing up in Tempe, Arizona state was coming off a big win over UCLA. They were fired up. They came out to a 14 to one lead. Uh, Tommy Lloyd really uh, got into him, but, you know, in, in his way and, and they responded and came back and just, you know, drummed him in the second half. And uh, it, it's been an interesting thing there. And as far as the, you know, the, the weight, I think, I think basically it's just, you know, there's still kind of that shadow in the background that they don't have the, 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 um, the final, so the, the final determination of what their penalty is actually going to be. But, but, um, but certainly it's, it's been kind of a, you know, a, a, things have changed a lot, a different light going on. And, and frankly, they're just a lot of fun to watch. So I think for all those reasons, there's, there's been more interest in them this year. I heard him say the other night, and there are a lot of things that make me feel old these days, but, but I had not realized that this is the 25th anniversary of Arizona's 1997 NCAA championship team. I was at the game and they, they played that overtime game against Kentucky and Indianapolis. Uh, they showed Mike Bibby in the crowd the other night. Boy, what, what a run that was for that team. They beat three number one seeds, yeah. uh, including uh, Kentucky in the, in the championship game. I think they beat North Carolina and Kansas before them. Uh, th- that that was a, just a remarkable run for Lou Olson's only national championship squad and one that I know is still revered in that part of the country there in Tucson. Yeah, it was, you know, and and the, you know, the story on that was sort of like, I mean, nowadays you would never think this way, but back then the thought was, it was a year early. I mean, like those guys were all sophomores and juniors. They were supposed to be better in 98. And then they, they just went ahead and did it. And then they, they all came back in 98 and actually got beaten in the uh, elite eight by Utah. Um, so you just, just goes to show you, you just got to pounce on it when the opportunity is there. And then they did, you know, and, and certainly that's something Arizona has been proud about and fans are proud about even today. But that said, they've had a lot of pain to deal with as well. I mean, they've had it. They had elite. They had elite eight losses in '98. They went to the championship game in 2001, lost mm-hmm. to Duke. They lost to the elite eight in 2003 and 2000. Um, excuse me. And then 2005, they had a they had a, uh, they had the 14 point meltdown against Illinois in the elite eight. Then they lost in the Elite Eight under Sean Miller in 2011, 2014, and 2015. So wow. there's a lot of there's a lot of there's you know I don't know if there's karma or whatever it is, but they, <laughs> you know uh, Arizona's paid its dues, I guess you'd say. 
Bruce, we, uh, you and I always talk about the Pac-12 uh, in the summer, and we try to forecast who would be in our top 25. And you're usually dead on. I, you know, I'm not going to dispute it if if you feel strongly no, I, about it. I didn't. I didn't tell you to rank Arizona. I, I underranked <laughs> them, so we didn't I, have. That, that's the one. Yeah. But but we didn't rank USC either. Mm. And I know they're only one and one against quad quad one teams, but. Yeah, uh, they're twenty seven in the net. So, yeah, uh, tell me a little bit about USC and and then also Oregon, which we did rank, and we always know that Dana Altman is going to pull something off with this collection of transfers and and uh, freshmen that he gets uh, even after starting out six and six this year. Yeah, well, I think the the interesting thing about SC and and I I think we did talk about it a little bit and that they struck me as sort of a team that that was going to be in the top 25 at some point, but I didn't know that they would be all the time. They just, because they, they, they lost Evan Mobley. And so there was a thought that, well, you know, there's that, but the fact is that uh, they they returned like everybody else. And, and then they, and Mobley's brother, Isaiah is playing a bigger role and he's been better in that. And, uh, and, and they've got some veteran transfers. And, and the, I think the thing that jumps out about SC is they're just really super big and long and very athletic. And um, I mean, they, they, they literally run out lineups with like a six, two point guard, and then they go six, eight, six, nine, six, nine, you know, six, 10. I mean, it's just like, literally they, they have a guy named Drew Peterson playing. He's like a semi point forward at six foot eight or something. And they're, so they're just, they're just super long and they can cause you a lot of trouble defensively. Uh, that way and they they did actually with Arizona a little bit and then I think you spoke to Oregon Chris and yeah you're right Oregon's always they're always I always think they're um, no matter where they are early they're almost always I think there's one year where they never really got it together but under Dane Altman they always get it together uh, late in the season because he recruits a lot of transfers he he I mean he was he was the the king of the transfer portal before there was a transfer portal I mean this guy's he's he's had the transfer scene wired for years he, uh, you know, went after grad transfers. He jumped on that when that started to happen. And, and also he takes advantage of it at Oregon because they start their school year starts really late, like the last week of September. Yeah. So he literally still recruits guys into September sometimes. And, and as a result, he gets guys a lot of times, all of a sudden they start practices in October and there's like three guys back from last year and, you know, a couple guys that sat out and then a whole bunch of new guys. And it takes them a long time to get it together. And, and and on top of that, like everywhere now, you know, guys have agendas and especially these grad transfers and older transfers want to, you know, they, they, they want to get to the NBA and, and they want their points and their, their, uh, you know, their, their minutes or whatever. So he's got to mesh all that chemistry wise. And then, and then also he runs a very complex defense that switches all the time. He's got all kinds of wrinkles in it and, and it just, you know, guys don't always pick that up right away either. So but here we are now and Oregon is playing a little bit better. And, you know, in fact, Arizona's hosting them next week. And, the, you know, that, that might be a tough one as well. Bruce, we'll let you go. Uh, safe travels to you. Really appreciate you taking a few minutes out to, to spend with us here. And uh, we'll catch up with you again down the road. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Bruce. Well, that was Bruce Pascoe, a longtime Blue Ribbon contributor. He's covered Arizona for many years as well. Always a great guest, a lot of good perspective uh, on the teams out west there in the Pac-12 and uh, you kind of look at that and uh, you wonder if the, is the ceiling four teams? Is it five teams of that conference? We'll find out uh, here in a few weeks. 
the schedule coming up this weekend it's super bowl weekend of course on saturday uh, a few games to check out number 20 Texas at number 10 baylor big game for oklahoma at number eight kansas indiana at number 17 michigan state 16th ranked ohio state at michigan number 12 ucla at number 21 usc and number 22 st mary's at second rank gonzaga in the sec vanderbilt plays at number 19 tennessee Chris, want to ask you, uh, you'd probably have as good a perspective on this as anyone you could ask. Uh, for the Volunteers, how big of a loss is Olivier Kamwa, who looks like uh, he's going to be out long-term, if, if not for the season, after having that uh, injury to his ankle back last weekend? Yeah, I, I talked to Rick Barnes on Sunday night, uh, and they were disappointed because the kid was starting to play. I, I mean, his first two years, he was kind of lost, and Rick told me back in the summer, he said, I'm going to make it my mission to make that kid a player. And he's really started to, you know, he had some good games against non-conference and struggled a little bit in, in the SEC, but he really started to come on and was a two-way threat inside or outside. He was a good shot blocker and they will miss him. But if there was a position on the floor that they could stand to lose a starter, it was that one. They've got two, well, one six ten, one seven foot freshman that they could possibly put in there. Uh, they could move Josiah James uh, to the four and, and I don't know, maybe play a super small lineup. They, they've yeah. done it a lot with those two little point guard, freshman point guards. So it'll change them a little bit, but Tennessee has a lot of depth that, that really some kids are chomping at the bit that deserve to play. Victor Bailey maybe has started to round back into form. He's only six four, but uh, needs to play probably. And Justin Powell, the transfer from Auburn, uh, I think would like to play more minutes. So they've got way more talent than they've got minutes to distribute. So uh, never a good thing when a kid gets hurt and is out for the year. But I think they'll be able to withstand uh, the loss of Kamwa and, and keep on going. They they've really energize their offense they're cutting and passing with with more purpose and more speed which is what rick had called for all year they're not as guardable uh they're not as reliant on threes so i think it'll be a good game although i know i know vanderbilt rick respects vanderbilt a lot and i think he expects a you know, they're not expecting to blow Vanderbilt out, I'll say that. Yeah, Vanderbilt's played uh, much better here in the last few games. Uh, beat Missouri on Tuesday night, a game that was kind of a grinder. Played really well against LSU, built a big lead. LSU cut it down to sim- single figures, and Commodores made some shots. And I, I thought played really pretty well at Kentucky, even though they lost, and then uh, beat Georgia before that at home. Uh, but the the addition of Rodney Chap- Chapman back into the lineup full-time has been a huge difference maker for the Commodores. And uh, the big man, Liam Robbins, has even uh, gotten some playing time uh, two of the last three games for him, the seven-footer. So yeah, I think that'll be an interesting game. Uh, Tennessee won. It was close uh, when they played here in Nashville. Uh, went down to the last minute, and uh, Vanderbilt uh, committed a big turnover. Zakai Ziegler got a big steal on an inbounds pass, and then Tennessee yeah. iced it at the foul line. But uh, it, it was a close one uh, here in Nashville. So they'll have the rematch uh, Saturday, 5 o'clock Central time, 6 Eastern, over in Knoxville. All right, Chris, uh, it's time for our Book of Boba Fett review, or, or maybe it should be called the Book of the Mandalorian uh, with a special guest Boba Fett, as we've seen these last couple episodes. <laughs> now, I've not seen the most recent one that just dropped, and yes. I guess is the last one for the season. But in the uh, the one I from last week, 
Uh, Grogu was training with Luke. He was left with a big decision to make after Mando dropped off the Beskar chainmail armor. And so it's that versus Yoda's lightsaber. It reminded me of like one of those kids trying to decide, you know, and make the announcement of where he was going to commit to, to play college basketball or football <laughs> or whatever, or they have, you know, they, yeah. they have the hats or, you know, a, a live bulldog puppy or something, but, uh, you know, that it, it was really a good episode. Uh, I want your thoughts on that. And, uh, you know, I always say it's the spoiler filled book of Boba Fett review. And I, again, I haven't seen the last one just yet. So looking forward to seeing what the decision might be. You know what? I have seen it, and it's all I can do to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> uh, but I will. Um, I liked, I liked the Mando episodes. I, I know that uh, people say, "Well, you know, we want to know more about Boba Fett." Well, all I'm going to say about how the season concludes was that uh, any questions that you had, uh, I think you'll be okay. Uh, I, I think that the way that, that the storytelling went, and I'm I'm big on that. I teach that. Uh, I, I think everything that they did was for purpose. Uh, as far as uh, the penultimate episode, I, there was a lot of cool stuff. I, I mean, you had Old West like gunfights. You you had uh, Grogu's choice, uh, which which came uh, was a direct homage to a Lone Wolf and Cub, a Sword of Vengeance. It's a movie where a Ronin warrior presents a child with a ball or a sword. He could choose an ordinary life or the way of the warrior. <laughs> and uh, I have not seen that film. My son is a fan of it. I don't know if he picked the ball or, or, or the sword. And I'm not going to tell you what Grogu picks. Uh, but uh, it, it was cool to see references like for, to spaghetti westerns. I think it's been done so brilliantly. And that sixth episode had so many uh you know uh cameos uh in it uh, cad bane uh who was from the clone wars cartoons uh uh made an appearance and uh obviously grogu and luke skywalker and ahsoka tano was in there so r2d2 was in there so uh it was chock full of stuff uh this is something the, the bartender the alien bartender in freetown uh who played uh opposite Tim Tim Oliphant was also the bartender in Deadwood huh. which Tim Oliphant played in his name is Dan Doherty so uh it was kind of cool to see that i think they've made some brilliant casting choices i will say that i am so bummed that uh Jennifer Beals and her good time bar <laughs> with the <laughs> the rock and alien band uh and the and the slots and in the casino got trashed oh man uh, in that episode and and uh i'm just a huge fan of jennifer beals uh you know uh not from the the, the flash dance days but man she's kept herself in great shape <laughs> always what a feeling when we uh, do our podcast every week and uh chris will do it again next time man i appreciate it we'll we'll do it and we've got more in store after after boba is over we are starting a series that we're still working on the name. It could be Bracket Breakers, but each uh, each episode at, at the end of the show, we're, we're going to feature a team that we think you might want to pick in your bracket. So uh, that's going to be fun to, to sort through those and, and give people a little update on how they've done and, and how we expect them to do. I already have one. 
And, and I have a couple. And, and the yeah. hint that I will give you is it's a team that I saw in person this season. So we'll, we'll save oh, that boy. for down the road. I'll have to look at Vandy's schedule. Yeah, all right. All right. Always fun, buddy. All right, man. Take care. He's Chris Dortch. I'm Kevin Ingram. We'll talk to you next time on the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast.